With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi. Alongside me, as always, Taylor Dammel. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, I went with Sasha Kalea Jones. I don't know if you remember that name, but Sasha Kalea Jones, he played at Kentucky, transferred to NC State, but never played at NC State, a bit of a disjointed college career. He's currently playing overseas professionally, which is very impressive. But Sasha Kalea Jones is your college hooper of the day. As a freshman at Kentucky, he played 14 games, uh, averaged nearly three points, two rebounds, and only seven minutes per game. He didn't really play much for them, uh, especially during the second half of the season. In his sophomore year, he became a little bit more of a frequent contributor off the bench, upping those averages, um, and he appeared 34 times. But after that season, Sasha Kalea Jones said he was going to transfer from Kentucky and he committed to NC State, but this was pre-transfer rules and everything or how we view them today, Uh, and he had to sit out that year. And so when he became eligible, he said, screw it, I'm out of here. I'm actually going to play pro. But I remember Sasha Kalea Jones – he was one of those hyped, hyped recruits for Kentucky, uh, and I don't think his collegiate career ever really got off the ground completely, but he is playing professionally, obviously very talented individual. So he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. And it's over! Gonzaga, the Flippers still 
Taylor Dammel, welcome back to another episode here, Theater in College Hoops. Big weekend of basketball, not only collegiately, but also in the NBA. The All-Star Weekend took place over in Indianapolis. I was there on Friday, and it was a ton of fun. Uh, I drank too much on Friday. I I, I don't want to sound like a hardo. And say I, it's more of me just coming to terms and, and admitting that I just drank too much on Friday, but I still enjoyed myself. It was kind of blizzarding. Uh, saw Ben Matherin win Rising Stars MVP, which was super cool, and I was very happy about that. Um, I actually got on the local news as well, Taylor. I don't know if I yeah. said that to you, but I got on the local news, which was uh, neat. They were just asking me what you're, what we were most looking forward to, and I said, honestly, the, the outside shot that I could see Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum walking around, uh, that did not happen. The closest I got to seeing Jason Tatum was a big like fat head poster of him on one of the windows uh, promoting his Ruffles brand chips. Uh, but outside of that, a lot of fun. There's been a lot of discourse about the NBA All-Star weekend, um, but the weekend was a lot of fun. And, and I don't know, how did you enjoy all-Star Weekend, or were you more locked in on the college results? So before I answer that, I need to know where we can find this clip of you on the local news. I can let me see. I have the you link. Got it. If you're going to bring it up on the podcast, you got to tweet it out. I I, I think personally. So I, yeah, I'm not the only one who was interviewed. There's a well, yeah, it's like two and a half minutes long. There were a few other clips and whatnot, but we were going into a bar. Actually, we were going into a bar and this local crew was outside when it was snowing and they were basically saying, hey, do you mind spending a few minutes with us? I said, yeah, sure. Or we said, yeah, no problem. Uh, we're just heading in here. And they're like, oh, OK, cool. Yeah. So we talk um, and before heading in, they say to us, oh, it's actually closed. They're not open just yet. And we're like, all right. So we just sat out here in, in the dumping snow for a little bit longer than we really had to thinking we were. We, were, we had our next move. And then after that, we were like, all right, let's uh, figure out where we're going to go to next. Uh, Patrick, my, my, my wife's brother-in-law, had a receipt list that he got from a bartender, written down, handwritten uh, list of bars to go to. So we pretty much bar hopped our entire way to Gamebridge. But it was fun. I'll, I'll tweet out the, the link itself. But it was just some local Indianapolis yeah, uh, news got station. Yeah, got to do it though so no i was um i did a couple things this weekend obviously including watching a lot of college basketball uh did a historic historic home tour on sunday which is actually a lot of fun in willow historic district here in phoenix great time um watched a lot of college basketball on saturday sold a house uh efficient efficient weekend i'll tell you that but i do want to argue with you a little bit just a little not a lot just a little, because you tweeted about how much how people who complain about the All Star Game are lame. Okay, mm-hmm. and I don't disagree with the sentiment of what you're saying. I'm going to say, is it okay to just say that all All Star Games suck? Sure. Rather than pinpointing which ones are good and bad, I think it's maybe apt to say that maybe they all suck. I'm okay you, with that because you brought it up too. MLB game is literally you get the best pitchers in the world who only have to throw like 12 pitches and they just strike everybody out, essentially. So it's not high scoring. The Pro Bowl doesn't even exist anymore. I don't even care if people say that exists. It doesn't exist anymore. The NHL All-Star Game is now like a bunch of three-on-three 
stuff. I don't even know the format of the NHL All-Star. And then I will say, I don't even have any idea what I was watching last night, especially in the like fourth quarter uh, or night before last. I mean, I get it. It's, it is fun, but there is a point where like, I don't think the crowd clapped or said anything for about 20 minutes to end the game in the NBA All-Star game, which I don't know. You combine, I'm not trying to, hate on Indianapolis, but you combine a non-sexy location with a game that uh, was not really all that entertaining and on a Sunday night in a blizzard and nobody like, I am I wrong? I don't think I heard a single crowd noise for like at least the entire fourth quarter. So uh, I, 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 I turned it off entering the fourth, I think, because okay. I didn't think it was going to end up being close, but I turned it off because true detective was waiting the, the oh, season finale go. and I had to watch that. But, um, no, I, I, I did think, turn it and, off. And, like, and sorry not to interrupt you, but just my final thought is that I don't know if there's a way to make these things entertaining at this point. The, yeah, you just need to have the buy-in from the players. But they're not, I mean, they're not going to buy it. These guys make $60 million a year. They're not going to buy in to, to scrimmage, you know. Correct. So. Anthony Anthony Edwards said it best. And that's why I, like every single year we have this discussion, Taylor, but I'm I'm good with saying all All-Star games suck. I'm still going to tune into the NBA All-Star game because I like basketball. I think there are people that just don't like basketball and love taking shots at the NBA All-Star game uh, because that's the only All-Star game, Taylor, I hear about when people are saying, oh, this is terrible. This, you know, Adam Silver's done such an awful sure. job. Like We don't hear this about the MLB All-Star game, which people seem to love. Uh, and I don't mind the MLB All-Star game. But that wasn't that entertaining. Like the Pro Bowl is is garbage. I think people do say the Pro Bowl is is garbage, but I think even the NFL is, has said like, yeah, the Pro Bowl is garbage. Um, I don't know. I just, it just seems like the NBA is the one where everyone every single year says, this is God awful. They don't play defense. And I think Anthony Edwards said it best. This is the vacation for these guys. They play right. night in and night out for the most part. All right. They just want to come out and chill. And in the NBA – this is a league covered by guys that make fun of their players. And it goes back to my initial point of this is a league that you could argue is covered by people who don't even like the sport. And so when you have guys calling Anthony Davis, uh, like whatever it was, uh, street clothes, and I love Shaq. I think he's hilarious. But Anthony Davis is street clothes, right? Everyone makes fun of Kawhi Leonard. Um, why should these guys go out there and, and play legitimate defense and bust their tail to risk potential injury and just get made fun of and risk that it's, it's silly. It's stupid. Um, I, I don't. And again, they're here to just relax and chill. They're not going balls to the wall. And yeah, is that different from previous generations? Of course it is. It absolutely is. The only thing you can ask for Taylor is a close game. I think it's, I think it's irrational or silly to ask for like tough defense Okay, uh, I think that's dumb. People people want to see alley oops. They want to see dunks. They want to see logo threes. What you can ask for is a competitive game late. That's what makes the NBA All Star great. When it's like a two possession game with five minutes to go, and that's when the All Stars will actually start playing. Yeah. the 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 issue is that it was a blowout, and the West just didn't show up. So I actually would. If you're going to blame anyone, blame the Western Conference All-Stars because everyone's saying they're comparing the photos of the two teams. They're like, oh, the West has legendary Hall of Famers and the East has Giannis, which is kind of true. But 
why didn't the West put up a better fight? They didn't make shots, I guess. I don't know. Well, and just given who is the West all-star team, I mean, half the team's over like 35 years old. So, I mean, that's the other thing is you're just not going to get like LeBron's not going to go out there and tear his ACL at 39 years old. And I, and I, and I get that. I'm, I'm certainly not arguing uh, anything that you're saying there um, or really arguing with you in a general sense, other than just saying, I think it's just, it's, I think it's just at a point in time where all all-star games just suck. And I think maybe in the nineties, like the all-star games that we grew up with, like the NHL all-star game was awesome growing up. I, I always think I remember. And then MLB all-star game was weird for a while with the, who gets home field advantage. I understand the concept of why they were, what they were trying to do. Not sure if that's how you should decide it, but you know, I understand the concept of what they were trying to do there. Um, then pro bowl, you know, you just, the problem with like football injuries and the problem with, if you talk, if you look at the four sports, four major sports, the one that has least likelihood of injury is the MLB all-star game. And, and the MLB all-star game is the most, well played of these four major sports because you again yeah no i get it you're, you're not going to go tear your acl doing this i just don't think that there's probably an answer now how to make it i think we're too far gone in this day day and age of who you know kobe i know and this is going to be kind of sacrilegious to say i think kobe gets a lot of credit for stuff that you know that maybe he doesn't deserve all of the credit for but he's not here so he's obviously a, a kind of a figure that we all have in our lives in the basketball world. Right. But, um, but I think you can say on this, that Kobe retiring, I think was kind of the changing of the guard in terms of how the all-star game is represented and played and all that type of stuff. So, and I think you, the most of the players, I think kind of uh, would say that too. So I just don't think there's a way, there's probably not a path back to making this better. Um, the dunk competition also was dumb awful. too. But yeah, that's been so, awful for a while, except for the yeah. AG Levine. Well, and you can't have a dunk competition and then have multiple examples of where the best dunkers aren't winning. Like, yeah, rewarded. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree right. with that. So it's but, like, if we're going to have this product that's supposed to be fun and, and can we at least give the right scores to the people who are dunking? Cause then now all of a sudden the, the whole thing's a joke. And now you're saying that even the judging's a joke and everything's a joke. So the, the, the main issue, Taylor, this is what it comes down to. It's players not caring but the responsibility is on you then to handle it responsibly or well, right? As the viewer. So I know the players don't care. I understand that for a various number of reasons. I know these guys, despite preaching mama mentality, you can't get to that. I don't think there are many folks that have that mentality. And that no, includes no. playing at your highest level in the all-star game. So I, un I understand that players don't care. That's the issue to fixing this. Players don't care. But I'm a grown, mature man where I can say, I totally understand that. I totally get why they don't care. Again, they're on vacation. Like, I'm not, I, I think, I think it's unfair, truly. I think it's unfair to ask these guys to go 110% during an all star game when they I just agree. want to chill. Yeah. Like, Lucas hung over as hell, probably. <laughs> like, did you see his effort? I don't care, though. Like, because he's no, dropping, I didn't, 60... I didn't see his effort. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I don't. He's dropping like 60 plus point games during the regular season. Um, that's, that's what I care about. Like, 
Jason Tatum is not one of my favorite players because he's not only because he's a Celtic and he's, it's not because he dropped 55 and one all-star MVP last year. <laughs> he's my favorite player because of what he's done against the Sixers in the playoffs, the postseason success he's had the yam on LeBron James uh, in, in game seven of the Eastern conference finals in like 2017, whatever it was like, those are the moments that I care about. And so those players are delivering those moments in the regular season, in the postseason. Forgive me if I don't care that they don't care. <laughs> like it's all yeah. right. Um, I, I think just the last point that, that I would make is we ha- just have to be adults about this. Just be adults and understand what we're witnessing here. Would I, would it be cool to see them actually care and go 110%? Yeah, sure. But I suppose what you got to do is wait for the NBA finals when the two best teams and arguably what you would assume is, are the two most talented rosters go up against each other. That's when you could see seven games of it potentially. Yep. Sue, you know who does take basketball seriously? The UConn uh, Huskies. The UConn yeah, Huskies do. take basketball mm-hmm. seriously. That's how you segue into college basketball right there, by the way. I like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the real basketball that happened this weekend. How's that sound? I love UConn, it. UConn is unbelievable. I know. Is there really any other way to put it at this point? No, that's hard. That's hard hitting analysis right there. I know, but like, well, you know, we can, you know, we can bring up Taylor that for the past three weeks to a month, we've been the ones, not the only ones. I think there's a ton of Husky fans out there that have been saying this, but from a neutral perspective, I think we're one of the few that have been trying to scream from the mountaintops and say, no, 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 no. The, the class isn't UConn and Purdue than everyone else. It's UConn bit of a drop off to Purdue and then everyone else. And now everyone's saying, well, if there was any doubt, you know, that's been put to rest after UConn smashed Marquette and then uh, Purdue lost to the boiler or excuse me, the, 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 the Buckeyes. And I'm just like, yeah, man, we've been saying this for the last month. Yeah. I think that I would even say that it within the top four, there might be, two levels just within that as well. I think it might be a Yukon and then a Purdue Houston, Arizona, and then the rest from there. I, I think that the top four seeds right now, I think it's, I, I think it's as clear as it's been all year that right now, the top four teams in the country in the rankings are the top four teams in the country. I think, I don't think that there's any debate about that at this point. Um, you know I mean? Mm. A, a Purdue losing to Ohio state. You know, Purdue's going to lose games, right? More than one, or you know, they're going to lose. They're not going to go undefeated the rest of the way, or they weren't going to go undefeated the rest of the way. Not, not in the Big Ten. But from Tennessee, from that four Arizona to Tennessee being right behind them, I think that's a line right there. And I'm very pro Tennessee, but I think there is a line right there that that Arizona, I can say in my mind, is not far and away by any means, but they are clearly better than than Tennessee is at this juncture. Um, Purdue being getting beaten by Ohio state doesn't actually change my thought on Purdue as a wide sense. Right. But I think for, um, you know, clearly like it shows that UConn's the number one team as we've been saying, but, uh, interesting that Purdue loses to a team that has their coach fired this last week. What are your thoughts on that? Is the interim bump. Right. Yeah. You can't draw a ton from this outside of the fact that Ohio State was clearly playing inspired ball. They wanted to get this for Coach Jake Diebler. By the way, the Diebler's just run Ohio Ohio basketball. Like 
John, hey, Jake, last, I know. Last episode, I couldn't even remember which Diebler was the was the interim coach. You know, I think that's I think it's forgivable, honestly, Taylor. But it's just funny how that happens. But I, again, I, I'm not taking a ton away from that. It was a home game, and I do think sometimes Purdue people do like are, are, are kind of hawking and waiting for them to trip up, and they only have three losses, guys. Let's let's make no mistake about it. The issue, though, Taylor, is when you look at UConn and how they've handled business and how they look versus Purdue, who's still winning a ton of games, but they don't look that good. They went, they had to beat Northwestern in overtime. They had to come back against Minnesota at home. Both of those games were at home. And then they ended up losing on the road to Ohio State. When you look at the differences, like it's okay to call it out. It's okay to say that UConn took care of a top four team by like 30. Meanwhile, Purdue's struggling to get these wins. And that's not to say that Purdue sucks. It's not to say that they stink, but you can't say in all good conscience that they're on the same level as UConn. They simply aren't. The only thing I would push back uh, in, in respect to what you had said, I would group Tennessee in that top five. I think they're on the same plane as, as Arizona and Purdue. I do. Um, I mean, um, I don't know, actually. They, I, have I the, they might, you know, I mean. Don't not, not to Tennessee's point. I, I still think it's UConn. I think it's a drop to Purdue. And then I think, mm, then I, th I don't know. I don't know if I'm putting Arizona and Tennessee in those in those tiers yet. I'm not I, putting I, I Iowa State, Marquette, no, 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 no. Or Kansas, or any of those guys up there in I, that. So, I mean, I th I the think line's either at four or the line's at five. five I mean, it's not. Five. Yeah, five. yeah, okay. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm not expressing my thoughts. Uh, in a no, I understand what you're manner. saying, though. Yeah, you're just saying I'm just saying the line is between four and five. You're saying the line is between five and six. I think we're both saying that for sure there is a huge difference between like Iowa State and Marquette and Duke and can't especially when you get to like Kansas, Baylor, all those guys behind. We're talking about I think playing a different whole different field here when you're talking about when you get outside of even just the top five or six. So um, if you look at where how the rankings came in this week. Arizona is well within, uh, I think it's 30, 40 votes, 38 votes, something like that of, of Purdue, uh, which is surprising to me because um, even though I'm an Arizona guy, Purdue beat Arizona. I mean, we, we all know that, right? So the fact that we are that close uh, this at this point in the season for as tough as a stretch that Arizona went through for about three weeks, not tough by their competition tough by their actual playing ability at that point in time. I'm surprised that not only that Arizona was able to get back up to not only a one seed, but a, a unanimous one seed. So said the, so said the selection committee uh, this last week. Um, but then also that they've pulled so far that they can even potentially pass and catch or catch and pass a team that beat them on a neutral, well, neutral court uh quote unquote neutral court this year so that's a that's a little bit what i'm surprised about is not that arizona is good is that they've come all the way back to to almost overtake a team that beat them earlier this year while having yeah. two more losses than them too and so that's it's kind of that i know i'm an arizona guy right so i'm gonna follow that stuff a little closer than everything else but but i'm just surprised as a college basketball fan that purdue has i don't want to say fallen but arizona's gotten all the way back up to purdue it, you could say it's a combination of both. The last two games, Arizona has handled, handled business. And that is to say they smashed Colorado on the road, not close. And they actually smashed Colorado the previous time they played. And also Utah the first time they played. Of course, it took triple overtime to beat Utah, but that's a solid win. Uh, but the last two times they played, they 
destroy Colorado, and then they don't even keep it anywhere near close against ASU. No room for a Desmond Cambridge nonsensical three-fourths make-a-wish type of foundation shot. All right, like none of that nonsense happened. Arizona just completely destroyed them. Whereas, like I had mentioned, Purdue's last few outings, despite having won majority of them, they've struggled. They've, they've looked, they haven't looked invincible. That's how I would describe it. UConn looks invincible. As in, like, who, how the yeah. hell do you mm-hmm. beat these guys? I could rationalize and I could justify how Northwestern beat Purdue. I can rationalize and justify how Ohio State beat Purdue in looking at that matchup. If I go back and I say, how the hell did Seton Hall beat UConn? And Seton Hall's a good team. Again, that speaks levels to UConn, man. I'm just like, how did Seton Hall beat this team? That makes no sense. So UConn looks invincible. Purdue does not. And Arizona is starting to look like a a buzzsaw, really. Um, So they also, by the way, the Wildcats are going to be hosting a top 25 team. Let me scroll down a little bit. I want to shout out Washington State and Kyle Smith coming in at the rankings at 21. This is a found opportunity for Arizona. This is huge. And this is actually one of their losses. And I think a lot of folks, when they lost to the Cougars, were perplexed and upset. And by the way, that's two times that they've lost to Washington State in the last couple of years. This year it was on the road. Last year it was at home. Arizona is going to look to get some, some vengeance and revenge there. But man, Washington State... I. I, I keep saying it every single week, they are so damn tough. And Kyle Smith's nerd ball. We heard about this from assistant coach Jeremy Harden and the metrics and the numbers, but they are so tough, Taylor. They have that fabric, that DNA of a team that's never going to get blown out and they're always going to hang tough. So that game in Tucson is going to be huge. And if Arizona wins that, that's going to be a very nice uh, resume boost for them that I don't think we even saw coming. But shout out and credit to to Washington State, who's been tremendous. Yeah, I don't think that um, we expected Arizona to be able to pick up another quad one win, uh, really even maybe for the rest of the season, but especially uh, with Wazoo on the schedule. Um, they have been probably the sneaky, oh, I don't, I don't know if best, but sneaky, most underrated team in the country right now, I think. Well, I guess sneaky and underrated kind of the same thing. But um you know, if you look yeah. at, yeah, I mean, if you look at the teams ahead of them, everybody, people have been talking about South Carolina for a, a while. San Diego State went to the final four or went to the championship last year. St. Mary's, people know St. Mary's. Uh, Kentucky, obviously, you know, top two basketball program in history. So um, you look you at them. Ba- you said Bama a couple weeks ago, too, or maybe last well, and, week. They were flying. Yeah. And right. But then they're not anymore. Even, I mean, even Bama losing to Auburn you know, last, was that last week or late weekend? I think so. Um, even so losing to Auburn at Auburn is not a bad loss by any definition of, of that. So, um, so I think people are, have become more aware of Alabama, but yeah, Wazoo, um, they've at least someone in the PAC 12 has stepped up to decide they wanted to play good basketball this year. So That's nice. I am, I am at least a little bit, my hand is up. It's not reaching anywhere, but it's up. Because my prediction, which didn't look very good for a while, um, my prediction of Arizona winning the conference and winning it by multiple games is, and going seven, I think I even said they were going to go 17 and three, I I think is what my prediction was. For a while, it looked like I was going to be way off. And now I'm like, well, they get through Wazoo and 
were maybe a, maybe a UCLA game left in there um, from that that happening. So um, happy about that. But I do want to bring up. I want to go back to Tennessee if we can for a moment uh, because I want to talk about something about Tennessee that we have chatted about before, but actually put some numbers to uh, what was an opinion, but now it's more factually based. You got we some know, for us? Well, I mean, it's not like rocket science here, right? But we know that Tennessee is a better on offense this year and B playing faster than they usually do. Right. Dalton connects big reason for that. Well, so I went back and looked at the adjusted tempo numbers for, in Ken Palm over the last, uh, since Rick Barnes uh, took the job at Tennessee, 2015, Tennessee is playing faster now than any other ta- team in Rick Barnes era. And they're within inside the top 100 from adjusted tempo for the first time uh, under Rick Barnes. They have more seasons where they were outside of the top 300 in tempo than they were inside the top 100. And that's kind of, I mean, that's wow. slow basketball. And mm. so that's something to me that is the most notable thing about Tennessee this year and why I would push back a little bit just because I don't think they're quite as deep or good as Arizona is, but I, I'm certainly not going to argue with you that Tennessee is in that same level because they can, at least in this year's version of the, of Tennessee, they can play faster if needed. And I think we've talked about that all the time. When you get a Houston or a Virginia or a Tennessee in years past that they're, they've been suffocating defense. And we're talking about three of the three of the six or seven best teams in the country over the last five years, specifically in, in, in those programs I just said. And, um, the problem with them, though, is what they is that they needed to speed up. They couldn't speed up. Right. And so that's what really gives me a lot of positivity about Tennessee this year and why I absolutely do not want them as a two seed in Arizona's bracket for sure. Like for sure of any team, you could give me every other team in the top 25 and have them as a two seed. And I would take them over Tennessee personally. Um, and that's because they have the variance of they're so good defensively, but they are. I mean, they're, they're not fast. They're 88th in adjusted tempo, but they have shown the ability to be fast when needed. And that's just something I think some of the previous Tennessee teams have lacked, along with like the scoring ability that Dalton Connect brings. I just think that's a major factor as as this goes forward into the tournament, that they're not going to play fast. They're not going to be the 1991 UNLV running Rebs by any means, but they at least for spurts can be quick and efficient, more so than they have been at any other point in Rick Barnes' time here. They have shown flashes of maybe some of those teams from Bruce Pearl's era, right? Of a, like a Chris Lofton or a Duke Cruz. Uh, I don't know if Skylar McBee was around there, but up and down a little bit more um, for those for those Vols teams. And you're right, Taylor. We know the book's out been out on Tennessee's offense, but what makes them so dynamic this year is that they can overcome some offensive deficiencies which is to say they can get the ball to Dalton connect and they, they overcome it on offense. Like it's, it's not going to be a full game of just dreadful, dreadful offense unless something goes terribly, terribly wrong. Now I've always said the key for Tennessee is the three point line. If they can shoot mediocre, if they can shoot, I think 38% or higher or like 35% or higher. The rest will carry and they will be a final four team. I, I I really do believe that. But as it relates to seeing them as a, as a fan of Arizona, there are those nights where they don't shoot the three well, and that's what Arizona doesn't do well. Uh, so if you give me it, I'd rather see a team like Tennessee who 
can't shoot the three as opposed to a team that can shoot the three. Because if, if Arizona plays a team that can shoot from the perimeter, I think they're in big trouble. They've shown that they can't shoot, defend the perimeter very well whatsoever. Uh, they're rebounding. The rebounding kind of troubles me as well. I guess we'll see what happens against Washington State, a, a stiffer competition for sure than ASU and Colorado and what we've seen now with Utah. By the way, the mountain schools, like, do you guys want to make the tournament at all? Yes or no? I, I, I guess it's not law. It's not mandatory, but I got Utah losing. They got swept by LA, didn't they? No, not Utah. No, uh, no but they split. They both split. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, Colorado lost to ucla mm-hmm. utah lost to usc which is uh, an awful loss even at on the road. horrible loss man and then it took them then a colorado colorado beat usc in overtime and then utah needed a last second put back to beat ucla sorry i'm a bit confused here point that i'm making is this was i mean i guess those the the saturday games or the last leg of those games for the mountain schools were absolute must-haves because Thursday night they just squandered huge opportunities. And I'm just sitting here like, do you guys want in? And you mentioned Wazoo's the only other serious team in the Pac-12, Taylor. It's it's so nice because I've been seeing tweets and I'm I, I I can't stress enough how much of a big opportunity this is as an Arizona fan to play Wazoo. Uh next year we won't have to deal with this <laughs> because every other game will either be playing on the road against a ranked opponent or hosting a ranked opponent. We're over here basically saying throwing a party because we get to host a ranked opponent. Have we hosted a ranked opponent at all this season? I don't know if we have. No, I don't think so. <laughs> like, I think we're all we're... neutral site. Next year will be different because all these teams come back to us. But um, yeah, uh, well, well, next year will be different because we're going to be have 10 We're going to be in a real conference. conference. But I'm over here just like, oh my God. It's like be it's like wandering through the Sahara and you see someone with water. It's like, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. We 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 got to play a ranked opponent. This is great. Like I know Arizona's good, but I want to get tested uh a little bit. I don't know. I just went off on, on a complete tangent there, but uh it's just nice to get a, a ranked opponent on the schedule again this late wow. in the season. Who would have thought that our that Arizona's loss to Wazoo was a better loss than the one to FAU? Yeah. I don't think that would have been a preseason prediction. Uh, you know, maybe they're not. Maybe they're equal. I don't know if maybe one is better than the other. But I, the fact that I it's think a Wazoo is better. Yeah, the fact that it's a discussion uh, is is up there. So the, let me the, so one uh, more real point. quick. Or, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just very quick on that. I, I it comes up into my mind once every three or four weeks or so how annoying that loss to stanford was that is just oh. an egregious loss because they are awful they're terrible and, and it just and oregon it's, state. yeah sure oregon state. fine yeah but you get one or okay fine one of those you get a stinker but it's sure. i think stanford pisses me off the most sorry right no, you're 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 spot on with that. Uh, before I go back to Arizona, I just brought up the numbers. Going back to my Tennessee point, this is the f- quickest that Tennessee has played since 2009. So um, essentially, our I don't know if it's 08 or 09 or 09 09 10. Uh, I think it's I think it's 09 10 is what this is brought up. Um, so anyway, um, that is I mean that's 
our freshman year, sophomore year of college, they haven't played uh, this quickly since then. And they weren't even good. I mean, that they were not good that year either, like 35th ranked team in the country. So um, one more thing about Arizona. I don't want to belabor or, you know, too much about Arizona here, but we haven't um, talked about Arizona in a while. It's all right. They're rolling. Yeah, right you're now. right. You're, we actually really haven't for a team that is as good as Arizona is. We've kind of taken about a six week break from talking about them extensively. Um, I was very hard on Umar Balo coming into this season. And I think for the first half of the season, he played exactly how I described that I thought he was going to play. People thought nationally thought he was a better rebounder than he was, and people nationally certainly thought he was better offensively than than he was. Now, ever since those th- losses that we just talked about, that or the Oregon State Sanford kind of situation, there, he ha- has actually played like the Pac-12 Player of the Year. He won't be. By the time this is all said and done, likely Caleb Love, which I'm totally fine with as well. (laughs) They could pick any of those guys, and I'm cool with it. Um, But Umar having as many double doubles, and we're talking about not like not like 11 and 10 double doubles. We're talking about like 23 and 11 or 23 and 13, like you know 20 and 15, like legitimate real big man double doubles. And his defensive presence and effort has actually picked up quite a lot too, and you could see that a lot specifically against ASU. Who's not good? Not going to sit here and act like they weren't going to play well against ASU, right? But you could tell that when Umar was in the game, and one of the things that Arizona hasn't been able to do all year is when they've been playing a smaller lineup, Umar has been picked on a little bit uh, by some quicker, smaller fives and fours. Um, Umar was a presence down low, affected probably seven or eight different shots that and, and blocked a few too. So want to shout him out. Because he, I was hard on him earlier in the year. Didn't think he was going to progress to the level that he is now. But the last three weeks certainly has been the best basketball he's ever played in his life. Um, and then Kylan Boswell, who went through an atrocious, I don't even think there's a better way to put it, than atrocious stretch of basketball. Him along with Jaden Bradley uh, have been the real difference maker for Arizona. Caleb Love is going to do his thing. I have more. There was a couple question marks about him coming into the year, more than a couple about how he was going to fit into this. He has chef's kiss fit into this team as well as you could have ever hoped to transfer with his kind of um, reputation would. I trust that guy to do whatever the hell he wants with the ball at this point. North Carolina fans probably don't, but like for what he's shown in the Arizona uniform, do whatever the hell he wants. I think it's a good decision. So Go ahead. I see your no, see no, you no. React uh, well, Carolina fans should trust him regardless. I don't care that he well, had a terrible okay. season. Right. I guess for like he hit one of the biggest shots in Carolina history. That would right. be enough for me. Right. Yeah. Okay. That would be enough for me. But yeah, I totally am with you on Caleb Love, and I actually have to repent a bit because because when Caleb Love came to Arizona, I said, "Let's be a little cautious. Let's uh, let's." hang back but like i said this so i want to make hand sure up I me too no, i mean me too i'm with you there too but yeah go I, ahead. we need to take ownership because we were saying look there's going to be a lot of peaks we knew that but we thought that there were going to be a lot of valleys i haven't seen any valleys and who knows the 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 absurdity of this sport has the ability and the opportunity to rear its ugly head or maybe caleb love does experience some valleys and i hope that does not happen but we haven't seen it yet. It's all been peaks with Caleb Love. He has been absolutely amazing. Umar Balo's coming on recently. But the two people that you mentioned in Kylan Boswell and Jaden Bradley, I'm very, very happy that you did. Jaden Bradley has come on so incredibly well the last few weeks. He's been playing lights out off the bench. And here's the way I describe their importance. If Kylan Boswell doesn't play well, 
as in zero to two points, which has happened. Arizona will lose basketball games and they will lose a tournament game without a doubt. If he does play decent eight to 10 points, that's actually pretty well. I should say if he gives you eight to 10 points, Arizona is going to win a lot of games. They're going to win some games close, but I, I think if you get production from Kylan, the eight to 10 points, I don't know, four assists, maybe a couple steals, you're going to win some games, but they're probably going to be close. If Kylan plays well, and if Jaden Bradley plays well, Arizona's beating the breaks off of teams. Like if you can get both of those guys playing well, I don't think it's a stretch to say they're both X factors, Taylor. So I don't think Jaden Bradley is Bradley's play is as necessary as Kylan's is to straight up winning. But if you want to have a chill March, which is impossible for Arizona fans, that'll never happen. But if you want to have a relaxing March as an Arizona fan, the 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 recipe for that is getting Kylan Boswell and Jaden Bradley to play well together because if both of those two are playing relatively well, um, the only teams I see giving Arizona fits are let's say Purdue and UConn. I don't even know if Houston would give Arizona a fit, but Purdue and UConn they they've been so good all season that where I can say doesn't matter we can have every person on our team play well they're going to give us a fit and a good game. But if both Kylan and Jaden play pretty well, I think Arizona's blowing teams out. Yeah. I think, you know, if you look at the top four again, and just some of the teams you referenced, um, I think we can predict how each team is going to lose in the tournament already. If you, if, if these one seeds are going to go down Houston, if you speed them up, you'll be able to beat them. Now that's a t- that's one of the toughest propositions in this sport is to be able to speed them up, but that is how you would beat them, right? Purdue is if you can pressure their guards and get Zach Eady into foul trouble, that's how you beat them. Arizona, if Jaden Bradley and or Kylan Boswell don't play well, putting more pressure on Caleb Love, who starts chucking, and then Umar Balo has a not perf a not great game and either doesn't gobble up some offensive rebounds or play well offensively. That's how you would beat them too. UConn, I don't know how you're. I don't have an answer. I don't. I, don't I mean, and, and I mean, I know we're waxing poetically about Arizona, but I, I think that's the path to beat them, right? If you can, if you can stifle Boswell and Bradley, put the pressure on Love to put to take more shots, and then if 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 Ballo doesn't respond to those Caleb Love shots, well, I think that's one way you could beat them. UConn, I can't even pinpoint. Well, as no, long as I, their top nine guys yeah. don't play well, you know, <laughs> they're just unfair. I think the path to Arizona, and I alluded to this earlier, the path to beating Arizona, I think if you take away either Kylan or Jaden Bradley and you shoot well from three, which is, or you out rebound, like if you do one of those three things, if you do two of those three things, you're going to beat Arizona. And, and I think you can, you can make it a case that you're going to beat them pretty handily. Like that's what Stanford did. They got incredibly hot. Uh, that's what Wazoo did. You can, if you can shoot well, I don't, I still don't see enough from Arizona's perimeter defense. Um, but we'll see. I, Taylor, the last thing I want to talk about real quick on this rankings reveal here as we're recording on Monday, let me highlight Florida at 24. Yeah. All right. So preseason, I said Todd Golden was going to win SEC coach of the year. We had our midseason revisits, and I said that's probably out the window. But I think I said it was trending down, I didn't say it was completely dead. Uh, it's not completely dead. Lamont Paris has done an awesome job, but South Carolina is floundering a little bit. If Florida jumps them, okay, if Florida jumps them in the rankings and maybe in the SEC standings, 
who's to say Todd Golden can't win SEC Coach of the Year? Because they are probably out of the, uh, everyone here in the top 25, they're probably the least you've heard about all season long. And that's okay. It's kind of taken them a while to, to get going and to get to this point of, of the season where they are indeed ranked. But I think we've talked and waxed poetic about 24 other teams. I'm not ready to completely give up my stranglehold on golden winning SEC coach of the year. Look at Florida there at 24. Mm-hmm. Well, and the fact that they're ranked early enough with still essentially not a month left in the season for sure, but with a few weeks left in the season where that number will appear next to them in ideally in your situation for the remainder of the season, they do play at South Carolina at South Carolina uh, here a week after next so uh, they they have been ranked early enough in in the season or with enough time left in the season maybe would be a better way to phrase it that that SEC coach of the year narrative has enough time to at least build at this point so we know it's not going to be Calipari right we yeah. know it's not going to be i mean Lamont Paris probably right now but that could change like he said um don't think it's a Bruce Pearl year i like auburn but i think maybe it's a few They've had a few losses, too many losses. And I'm not sure Alabama has enough. Uh, you know, they played such a tough stretch schedule. This whole, the Alabama flying under the radar literally only has to do with like four games in December that they decided to schedule like all ranked teams and neutral sites or on the road, right? And they lost like all of them, which mm-hmm. they aren't even bad losses. But I, I feel like you're spot on with Florida where there's going to be a, just enough time to, to light that fire to say, okay. And actually, if I mean, if you're a Florida fan, this probably came more so. I mean, we've been talking about Florida for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I'm sure the national uh, or the public hasn't been, but I think you still have enough time to hang on to that. That game in South Carolina might be one of the deciding factors in that. So, but speaking of the SEC, a team that I kind of uh, railed against last week, um, I want to say just give them a, a shout out for a great response, and that's Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, going on the road at previously uh, spoken about Auburn and coming away with a, uh, a decisive win. Let's call it. I think they won by 11. Um, that's a great bounce back. They played well defensively. Auburn's a good team. We know we joked last episode that Auburn or that uh, Kentucky kind of guard you, me, my daughter, you know, whatever. Um, th- that was a really good response. Now, will that maintain? I don't know. Uh, I, 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 they certainly have the talent as they always do, but uh, I want, I just want to make sure we highlighted them because I was, I kind of rallied against them a little bit last week after they lost to Gonzaga, but uh, a hell of a response. You couldn't ask for a better response than what they had this week, not only in the fact that they did win that game, but in the manner in which they did it as well. Yeah. In an incredibly difficult environment. I agree. Great bounce back win for Kentucky. And it, it, I've always been saying, look, yeah, they can't defend, but, it's funny how fickle college basketball fans are because they go through a bit of a rough stretch and we completely forget that they were a top five team and a potential final four threat, national title threat, which I think they are. I definitely think they are. Uh, I think if, if their defense gets right now, if their defense doesn't, and I still need to see more then yeah, they're limited. But if you can string together three to four games of good defense, then Kentucky's as good as anyone in the entire country. And there's there's only so many teams, Taylor, that are so talented and elite with their their offense and their players where you can have a glaring weakness and still be good enough to win a few games and then see where it takes you 
so on and so forth. That's Kentucky. I, I don't want us to lose track of how good Kentucky really is, despite how bad uh, their their defense is. Uh, looking good, just going back to coach of the year in the SEC, potentially, it might just end up being Rick Barnes. Why the hell not? Like if South Carolina and Florida True. don't surge and, and finish in a top two position, just give it to Rick Barnes, who's been amazing. I think he's closing in on 200 career wins at Tennessee. Uh, I don't know. I think he, keep me honest here, 800 total uh, or career wins. Rick Barnes is a, an amazing, amazing coach. And I think he deserves more. I think Rick Barnes deserves a little bit more grace and maybe sympathy for how great of a coach he really is. And people forget that he's actually been to a final four. He just seems like a guy that, that hasn't because of the, some of the recent years towards the end of his tenure at Texas and what's been happening at Tennessee. But Rick Barnes is an amazing, amazing coach. And it wouldn't shock me if he just comes up and he says, yeah, I'm going to win SEC coach of the year. I think I'd be, uh, totally, totally fine with that. I think Rick Barnes is, he'll probably be a hall of fame coach. He should be. I, I think he should I, be. I think, I think he's more like a hall of really good, really, really good coaches. Just given the fact that like his only final four is the uh, Cinderella f- final four, you know? Um, I mean, he's got, or maybe Cinderella is not the way to, put I don't it, Yeah. Cinderella is yeah, not the right way. That's a good Texas team. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, I, I guess as a final four at a school that isn't known super well for basketball. I mean, it's super well known in Texas. It's not like we're talking about like sister of the poor program here. Point being, he hasn't done it in 20 something years. Uh, he's like a Donald driver. Of, <laughs> you know, like he's been know. really good no. the whole time. You I know? think if you have a final four under your belt and you have the amount of wins that Rick Pitino does deserves, deserves respect. You got to have Rick both. Barnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, excuse yeah. me, Rick yeah. Barnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's actually a Freudian slip because I do want to talk about Rick Pitino. Well, well done. I mean, Thank you. It, maybe not well done, but I saw where you're going with that. It so. worked. Yeah, it's like I juggled the ball and it ended up in your lap. But uh, Rick Pitino had some comments about his Johnnies after they blew a game against Seton Hall at home. Quote, he says, I'm not going to lie to you. This is the most unenjoyable experience of my lifetime. We are so unathletic that we can't guard any anybody without fouling. If I said I was disappointed, that would be the understatement of the year. But Patino didn't stop there, Taylor. He took it a step further. Criticizing his players' lack of athleticism, he said Joel Soriano is slow laterally. He's not fast. Chris Ledlam is slow laterally. Sean Conway is slow laterally. Brady Dunlap just physically weak. And Drissa Triore, slow laterally. These guys cannot move the puppies, apparently, <laughs> Taylor. Uh, so he goes on to say, we kind of lost this season with the way we recruited, we recruited on the, we recruited the antithesis of the way I coach. It's a good group. They try hard, but they're just not very tough. He also said that St. John's facilities are complete garbage. Uh, I think the direct quote was they were shitty, but some quick thoughts before we get to segments on old slick Rick, uh, going scorched freaking earth here. I mean, I'm not sure this is the route that I would go uh, <laughs> to, to fire up my team. Uh, you uh, suck. You suck. <laughs> you suck. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't even. I don't even think he did the year cool. No, you there was no year cool. Yeah. Um, they've lost like eight of ten though now, haven't they? Or, uh, or maybe eight. Yeah. Um, eight of ten yeah, on the road. It's been maybe a very bad yeah. stretch. Um, and they were playing well, or they were playing 
not well, but maybe uh, uh, better than what was expected. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. This is probably him showing his age a little bit now, I would say. Because I think if we go back to the NBA All-Star Game discussion, the current basketball player isn't exactly inspired by the same things that maybe inspired Rick Pitino's best teams 30 years ago. Literally 30 years ago were probably his best teams in college, those Kentucky teams. So um, I, I think it's a little showing his age. It's also showing that he doesn't give a singular blank about anything too, which is kind of great for us to, to, to comment on. But um, I also don't like saying the, I just don't like the comment of him saying we didn't recruit to what uh, his coaching style is or whatever. To me, that's not really putting the players down as much as it's being like saying or maybe accidentally putting himself and his own staff down, you know, Sound where it's like, so why didn't you just recruit other, like, not better players, obviously, because every coach is trying to recruit the best players, but why are you not recruiting players that fit your style then? I mean, you put the team I know, together, bro. Yeah, I know he didn't have a lot of time, I guess. I don't, I, I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't love that comment specifically just because it's like, well, it's like the contractor complaining that the house wasn't built well. Well, you were the guy with the hammer in your hand. So why, like, why, why are we blaming everybody else then? So that'd be my only takeaway. It's kind of funny from an outside perspective, kind of funny. Um, probably not what I would do as a coach necessarily, but I think it has as much to say to do with his own and his staff's own personal failings as it is as the players personal failings. I loved it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's so great. The reason I say so great is because let me start first with this. This is Rick Patino. He is one of few, few people in college basketball that can say whatever the hell he wants and still have the resume to back it up. This is what, this is what that is folks. That is what you're listening to. And so when Rick Patino says this, it's not necessarily that you have to listen or that he's even right because I agree with you. He sounds very hypocritical and that's kind of the humorous aspect of it. Like in, in the off season, I think there was a quote of him saying, we love what, what we built and I'm excited to get to, to work with these guys. And here we are in February and uh, what we built is terrible. Who we brought in are, are, are terrible. And I don't necessarily think it's that big of a deal to call players out individually. Now, whether or not they respond to that, I bet they wouldn't. I bet they're not going to be too thrilled about it. But this is Rick Patino. I have to keep going back to that, Taylor. And he's one of the greatest coaches to ever coach college basketball. Certainly one of the best coaches ever right now that is walking a sideline. And so, again, whether or not he's right or wrong, I don't want to have that elementary conversation. This goes back to the All-Star Game discussion. You just need to be mature enough to understand that Rick Patino can say whatever the hell he wants. He can say whatever and get away with it. And it's going to be fine because his resume is beyond reproach. If he crashes and burns at St. John's, it does not matter. Rick Patino's crashed and burned at the NBA level with one of the most storied franchises in NBA history in the Boston Celtics. You know what he did? He went and won a national title at Louisville. So that's, that's just who, who this guy is as it relates to what's coming out of his mouth. We have to keep in mind who the messenger is and that's Rick Patino. Uh, so he can say whatever the hell he wants. As it relates to the actual content, we talked about the hypocrisy of the roster building. 
I did kind of think it was funny that he said these players cannot move laterally. I mean, you just got to, you don't even have to go up and down north, south against these guys. You just have to swing and move the ball left to right, and you're going to be able to get a downhill (laughs) path to the bucket. I don't know. He was just like, you suck laterally. And it's so specific, lateral movement, right? It's not like shooting. It's, I don't know if it's effort, anything like that. But uh, specifically lateral movement, you guys can't play. So I thought it was funny. I thought uh, Rick Pitino can say anything that he wants. Now, I will say, and in the spirit of taking ownership, I picked him as Big East Coach of the Year. That, unlike Mm. Todd Golden in SEC, that's up in frames. Duck. I think a Hurley is probably going to win that one, I would say. Yeah. Pretty pretty handily. Um, I will say that, yeah, I shouldn't say luckily because that's not the way to put it, but luckily Rick Barnes has the resume that he does because he can say this type of stuff. You can't be a 45-year-old saying this Barnes stuff. or Patino? Or we, did you get confused yeah. now too? Oh, excuse me, Patino. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, my bad. Um, but without – because without that, you're just like oh, – yeah. we all know we all know this guy. We've all been this guy even where it's almost like you, you, you have this girlfriend, right, and you're like – Oh man, she's she's so cool. She's great. She's great. You can't wait. You and then you break up, and she's like, "Nah, man, she sucked anyway. Yes. She sucked." And it's like, "Okay, dude. Well, what what was it? Like five months ago, you were so excited. You guys were getting married. Four five months later, it's like, oh no, nah, man, she sucked the whole time. It's like, okay, yeah. come on. So that's why you have a resume, so you can say this type of stuff. Though. Exactly. Exact. Thank you, Taylor. That's what I was trying to say. What's the point of working so hard and accomplishing all these things in your career if you can't get something totally off your chest? There's 90% of coaches that cannot say what Rick Patino just said, but he knows his resume is beyond reproach. So he said, what the hell am I going to play coy for? What am I going to beat around the bush for? Let me just tell you what I think is the truth. And here it is. And you know what? Rick Patino's resume is so great. He's probably right. Truth might hurt here. Okay. I don't know if it's going to be successful, uh, a successful plan for St. John's moving forward. But if Rick Patino says someone can't move laterally and they're not tough, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust his opinion. Point blank. I, yeah. No, I hundred percent. I'm with you on that. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead. Get out of here on some segments. Hey, nice week last week, the two and one man, uh, just to recap real quick. We are sitting now at 24, 21 and three last week. You started with SMU minus two and a half against Tulane. that hit. I think they won by eight. Uh, Weber State let you down. You took Weber State minus six and a half against Idaho, and they only won by two, I believe. Uh, And then JMU minus 13 and a half against Georgia State. You hammered that. JMU won by, I think, 20 or so. Very, very handily. So two and one. Nice record, Taylor. We're getting close to the end of the year. And so now I want you to really, like, you are in, you need to start thinking about seed line, Taylor. You're not a bubble team in terms of 500, anything like that. You're looking good, man. We need to end the year. We need to hit our stride here. Let's put it that way. We need to make sure we get in there and and hit our stride. And where we're going to start is a team that we just got done talking about a lot here. And that's Tennessee. Tennessee goes on the road to Mizzou. And they're going to win by 13 or more. Specifically because I think Tennessee is also about to hit their stride here. Uh, Like I said, offensively, they're playing well. Missouri is just terrible. And I know that we're going on the road here to play at Mizzou. But at this point, their season, there's no there's no hope left at this point. They're eight and seventeen. They don't have um, a win in conference, do they? 
I don't think do, they do. If they do, it might be only one. But uh, Andy, yeah. maybe. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure. But no. But that just goes to my point. Uh, I think Tennessee is going to be is going to end this season on a on a streak on a run here, and I think Mizzou is just terrible. So we're going to take Tennessee minus thirteen, given how fast and offensively adept they are. Right. So um, number two, we're going to go to a team that isn't very fast. But is and is a road dog, despite the fact that they have been playing very well lately. They were just named as one of the top four potential seeds coming up for the NCAA tournament by the committee itself. And of course, they were in last year's national championship game. And that's San Diego State heading on the road to play at Utah State, one of the best teams, one of the best uh, environments in the country, and certainly an incredibly good Utah State and an incredibly good Mountain West this year. We're looking at maybe six bids from the Mountain West this year. If you were to say the they're so much better of a conference than the Pac-12 is, as they are the preeminent basketball conference in the western half of the United States uh, at this point. Uh, but we're going to take San Diego State going on the road. Uh, we're getting three points, so plus three. Uh, it really has to do more so that I have more confidence in San Diego State's ability than Utah State, despite the fact that they're on the road here. I think this is one of those type of games that, even though they had a, a, a tough out of conference and kind of early season schedule they've bounced back to now they're ranked in the top 20 they're projected as a top four seed and i think they continue that run here uh i would say that i'm probably going to bet this game money line just at this point two and a half i'm just going to bet them straight up uh so i'm going san diego state plus three and then finally uh a team that i two teams that i just despise just really despise uh one is just awful offensively the other is a team that I have told you guys about not being good for weeks now at this point. But to show that I am not a hater all the time, I'm going to pick Wisconsin and take them minus seven against Maryland. I didn't think Wisconsin was this bad. Okay. I, I just said that they weren't that good. I didn't think they were going to lose like four in a row, you know, all that type of stuff. So I think Wisconsin bounces back here. They're still a tournament team for sure. They're still going to be a top, you know, five or six seeds, maybe four seed, maybe, you know, as I know they're still projected pretty high in the seeding. So I'm going to take Wisconsin minus seven at home against Maryland. I'm going to take San Diego state on the road, plus three against Utah state. And I'm going to take Tennessee uh, going on the road to Missouri and winning by 13 or more. I like it. Yeah. San Diego state plus three. I like that quite a bit because Utah state's actually struggled a little bit. They just got beat down by mm -hmm. Colorado State. Uh, Utah State needed a miracle, if we're being brutally honest, on the road at UNLV. I love Danny Sprinkle. They're a tournament team. They're really strong, but they've struggled a little bit. And you're right about San Diego State. And the the, the committee's projections on SDSE was a top four seed. I think that speaks volumes of how much they think about the Mountain West as a whole. I do mm -hmm. think we're going to see six. And then, yeah, Mizzou is just God awful. So crazy, man. Mizzou was one game away from the Sweet 16 last year. They lost to Princeton. <laughs> but yeah, they were one well, game away from the Sweet 16. Any, anyone right? can lose to Princeton, man. You know, I yeah, mean, I buzzsaw. Know so I will say that um, San Diego State is one of those teams, not as much as some as some other teams I'm, I'll reference here, but uh, you don't get to bet on them as underdogs all that often. Kind of like Kansas has been an underdog yeah. a few times this year, and rightfully so because they're not necessarily the world beaters that they usually are but even no matter what maybe this is just a me thing but sometimes when you see 
Kansas and a plus next to it or San Diego State and a plus next to it or Arizona and a plus next to it. It's like, okay, how often do you really get to bet on this specific team with some you know additional dollars to be made here? So no matter what the metrics say sometimes, and that might be a dumb thing on my part, maybe someone could go back and look at whether that's smart or not, but you just don't get an opportunity to bet on them as underdogs a lot. So that's the point there. I'm with you also on Wisconsin and Maryland, two teams I do not like whatsoever. Kevin Willard showed his ass yet again this past game, being on the court and essentially stopping a run of play. The ball went out of bounds, uh, and then he yelled at Terrence Shannon Jr. It, just a terrible look. I've never been a Kevin Willard guy whatsoever. I'm so glad Shaheen Holloway's there at Seton Hall and experiencing a lot of success this year. Um, but yeah, Wisconsin looks terrible. Both of those teams really are, are – plummeting and Maryland Wisconsin is going to make the tournament Maryland just doesn't look good whatsoever okay uh not so mid Taylor what do you got for me well I want to congratulate the Chicago State Cougars a team I have talked about and maybe talked about them about two months ago Uh, I think it was pre-Christmas why I want to uh congratulate Chicago State is because they won they're uh, against uh, Indiana University, Northwest Indi- Indiana. <laughs> Sorry, they played earlier names. today, didn't they? They did. They did. Um, the other thing I want to point out is that they did finish above 500 at home. And they finished the season 12 and 18. So what words did I just use there? So finished finish because their season's over that was their last game of the year (laughs) that was their last game of the year it's february it's gonna be released on february 20th and their season's over that's it they're independent so there's no next year they will be in a conference but so there's no conference tournament they're not making the ncaa tournament their season with a month left essentially for some teams you you know even the bad teams there's a month left right (laughs) because even to paul there's a month left in the season right these guys they're done they're over they're out, they're headed out to Cabo for spring break and it's not even March yet. So shout out to them for ending the season on a high note. One of their best seasons in program history, actually funny enough. Um, and I guess efficient, what an efficient year. Hey, we suck. Let's just get, let's just get this over with, you know? So shout out to Chicago state. You know what they'll always have under their belt this year. They beat Northwestern. <laughs> they run Chicago. Yeah. Kings and of I, Chicago, they, man. they would beat DePaul. I they probably would. I don't know if that's true, but they probably would. So, ah, so uh, Chicago State, what a year! I hope they're able to get on a plane to, like you said, Cabo, or go hang out with Luca over in Europe. Go, go hang out with the NBA All Stars. You guys are on the exact same break. Isn't that funny? NBA, NBA All Stars. I mean, it's not halfway through the season, but they're well. Like, this is our break now, but Chicago State's done until next season. And it's legitimately hilarious. I think that not only is their their season end this early but it ended at like a noon tip on a Monday, like just to get get it (laughs) matinee finish. They couldn't, yeah, they couldn't even wait until the evening of the last, for the last game. They had to do it at the middle of the day on, on a, on a holiday, on a Monday holiday too, you know, where it's like, no, 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 big, big, big Tuesday night. No, let's just, let's just get this over with on Monday at noon. Thank you. I kind of wish they did that with DePaul. That's how bad they are, but yeah, Chicago. They should love that shout out. Yeah. They, DePaul should just be like, Hey, can we just, yeah, I mean, their season's going to end on a random day during the day in the Big Ten, ter- or excuse me, in the Big East tournament. Like the first game that they play, they're cooked. So, the Paul's the not- perfect example. Sorry, the Paul's a perfect example of why the ACC isn't going to have all 18 teams in their turn. I know they're not ACC, but next year, you know, they 
they go to only I don't like, like that 14 though. of the 20. I know I'm just saying that like they're gonna look at DePaul and be like, well, yeah, that's why. So don't eliminate sorry, the continue. chance. Okay. Let him all let right, him try. Right. Okay. Like let him at least right. try and get slaughtered. I'd I'd rather DePaul just quit playing the regular season and gear up and focus every fiber of their attention on postseason play. That's what these teams should be doing instead. Uh, my not so mid Taylor is going to go to a young man from Hofstra. All right. Hofstra beat Northeastern this past weekend by 20, 82 to 62. And a big driving force of that was Jaquan Carlos Taylor. He had 19 assists, dude. Jaquan Carlos had 19 assists to go along with eight rebounds and five points. So really what he was doing was attacking the glass and getting everyone else involved. 19 assists is a wild, wild stat. It's a wild number. Very cool to see. Uh, and, and that was, it seemed, I didn't watch the game, but it seemed like a concerted effort from Carlos after a while when he starts getting rolling. He's like, all right, my whole thing now is to just find the open man and find a player to put the ball in the hoop for me. Scoring did not matter whatsoever. So Hofstra wins by 20 behind 19 huge assists from Jaquan Carlos. I'm curious to know how that impacts his averages and what he's got for an encore next up. I'm trying to think of the last player I can think of in college basketball that had like a 19 assist type of game. Collect. Uh, did he come close? Yeah, maybe. I'm trying to think. I mean, of- I don't know if he had 19, but. You know who may have had a ton is remember when Larry Drew was at UCLA? Oh, UCLA. I think he picked up, he had a game or at least a couple games in there that I think he had a ton of assists. Was that, is that, was he Larry Drew too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I just know two. he played for, I just know he played for both Carolina. Yeah. And UCLA. I feel like he had like a, like a crazy uh, amount of assists one game. Um, but yeah, that's the only thing I can think of in terms of the last college basketball player that I can think of at that level to have that many assists. Jaquan Carlos, not so mid at all. Who's your lane violation, Taylor? Well, it was going to be Rick Pitino, but it was that was certainly worth an entire discussion. So I'm going to go with whoever operates the elevators uh, at Long <laughs> Island University. That's great. I, I know you saw. I can tell you saw this. So the Farley Dickinson Long Island University game over the last over this last weekend, uh, FDU got or the game got delayed because FDU got stuck in the elevator, which is just hilarious in the first point that the the locker room's not on the same level as the court, which is tells you just the size of arenas we're playing in here. But the fact that uh, an entire game could be held up because the whole team is on an elevator um, is is definitely a violation. I would say let's make sure these things work uh, in advance so we don't have to uh, delay the game. So let's go with the elevator operators. Um, I think most operator or elevators are made by Schindler, I think. No list. Um, mm. I think that's the company. Uh, you have to fact check. I know they make a lot of escalators as well. Um, there's your fun fact. So uh, I'm not sure who has produced this elevator, but let's do better. Not only is it very college basketball, it's very NEC. I feel like the so NEC is college just- basketball. <laughs> yeah, it, It's very college basketball. Sure. But like this is a new low and the NEC somehow always delivers that these small gyms. Uh, and that, I'm not trying to make fun of them too much, but this is just a very NEC type of thing to happen. I feel like LIU has been involved 
in transportation issues and delayed games, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I'm glad everyone was safe. I'd be, I'd, I'd kind of be panicking if I was stuck in an oh, elevator. Dude. That's scary. That's With a 12, that's a, seven foot dudes on the, yeah. Yeah. Like stop breathing, stop breathing all the air. We need, we only got a, a certain amount. Uh, Taylor, before I get to my lane uh-huh. violation real quick, let me just show you that. Mr. Tommy Lloyd extended oh, there we the go. Arizona Wildcats. Perfect. Perfect. So like Washington, going, like he was going anywhere. Yeah. Well, Washington can't poach him uh, after they fire Mike Hopkins, which I'm assuming is coming at some point. Uh, so I do want to say that um, you said that this elevator situation was a new low. I'd say they were trying to accomplish the low and didn't, mm. and didn't, <laughs> didn't accomplish that. I'm sorry. I, no, so I'm, that's really terrific. That is really terrific, Taylor. Uh, I love that. Hey, my lane violation is Sebastian Mack for UCLA. You brought up Larry Drew. Let's go to another Bruin, Sebastian Mack. Uh, once this ad stops playing here, you're going to notice Sebastian Mack is about to get screened at half court, and he just throws a forearm shiver into the Utah defender and the neck. Mack gets a flagrant two, gets ejected from the game. UCLA is up 16 to 12 at this point, and he's done. He's tossed. And Look at this replay. I mean, lines him up, goes straight for the chops. It was so weird. And and it didn't seem like it was in line for what Sebastian Mack did. I think this is just a case of a freshman making a, a foolish, foolish mistake, getting the, the the letting the moment get the best of him. But this was a critical mistake because UCLA, although they were on the very outside looking in, their season wasn't completely dead. And they needed that win. Sebastian Mack gets tossed within the first 10 minutes and they battled. They were in a position to win that game against Utah, but who knows if they would have won comfortably if Sebastian Mack had not lost his mind and gotten tossed. By the way, this is now the second straight year. We've seen some behavioral issues uh, from UCLA players. Now, I think Mick Cronin's a great coach. I think he's turned the program around, but there's something to be said about this type of stuff. Uh, with with some of the incidents we've seen. So uh, Sebastian Mack, lane violation, dude. Usually I'm all for physical play. I'm all for tussles, but that was a clear cheap shot and he deserved to get tossed. I think he's a really good player. He might win freshman of the year. And I think he's going to learn from this. I'm not going to paint a broad brush on Sebastian Mack. I think he's going to bounce back and he's going to understand and acknowledge that what he did was wrong. And we're going to move on. And that's fine. I'm not going to think of Sebastian Mack from this one play. Uh, but I do think it's kind of ironic and funny that the last two seasons, UCLA players have been in incidents and both of their names are Mack. Mack Etienne spitting into the crowd, Sebastian Mack doing this. And he cost his team a, a win, potentially. And who knows what's going to happen if he gets suspended any any further uh, for this action. So Sebastian Mack, hate to do it to you, young fella. Lane violation. It was such a weird thing to watch happen too, because it's so early in the game. Like yeah. this stuff happens, I feel like in a, when like tussles are happening late in the game, like straw that broke the camel's back thing. This was like eleven minutes left in the first half, I think. So mm-hmm. it was nice. it was it was weird to watch because as I was watching it, I was like, did that dude just elbow that guy in the throat? Right? <laughs> it was it kind of behind the play. It was still kind of barely on camera, but yeah, it was a very strange situation. Um, all yeah, who who'd have thought that a team that has a five foot six head coach that just screams the entire time would have guys that have 
issues with authority, let's call it. So I don't know. What a, what a shocker there. Um, last thing I'll say, I just feel like the Utah guy when he's just holding his throat, he's like the 50 cent meme. He's like, I'm like, what do you say fuck me for? He's like, I'm just he probably, setting the screen. He probably didn't even hit him in the throat. Like it was the other, yeah. you know, probably got him in the high chest, but that's fine. It's certainly worth the, uh, the ejection for sure. Going to miss this rivalry when these teams are in different conferences. That's a joke, of course. Okay, Taylor, get us out of here on an easy layup, please. My easy layup, and this might be my own personal opinion, is support of something that Adam Silver said over the weekend about the G League. And that is that he doesn't necessarily see the G League lasting, any, or the not the G League, excuse me, the G League Ignite, which is the, if you don't know, the Ignite is essentially the team that takes all the one and done guys that don't want to go to college, right? And get them into the G League program uh, on a team and get them into professional basketball earlier. I would say that the Ignite has not done anything for basketball, in my opinion. I would say that they haven't, I mean, they're, they're not producing better or more uh, stars than college basketball is. And one of the things that he said, uh, Silver, that is, is that um, with the introduction of NIL into the college basketball world, there's kind of not a need for uh, the Ignite at this point. And that is something that I completely agree with because now at this point, you're going to make less money going to uh, the G League early than you would by going to college. Why it's an easy layup for me is that it's going to make the college game better in the sense that there's going to be more talent, way more talent, or not way more, 12 five-star more guys that are going to come into college basketball. And then secondarily, I don't want to say hopefully because I'm not rooting against anyone individually, but hopefully that allows these guys to make better decisions on if they should go to the NBA after a year or not too, because the G League's a little tough uh, in terms of, well, okay, we get drafted, but you're already in the G League, and then do you just stay in the G League? This provides, I think, now that NIL has come around, that's a whole discussion about where that's going to end up you know, in the long term, but I think that uh, the G League Ignite going away bringing all of that talent back to college basketball is going to produce a better product. And it's uh, uh, the timing of this is ideal as well. Uh, he didn't say it's going to end or not. Let me just put that that way. But he, he said that they're going to reassess if it's a necessity. Um, but you look at some of the next year's the last COVID year that we have for all these seventh and 12th year guys in college basketball. So if we can bring some of that younger talent back and to backfill some of these uh, 25 year olds, I think that'd be a perfect timing for that. So my easy layup is support of the NBA uh, doing away with the G League Ignite and having a bunch of those players come back to college basketball. We weathered the storm, man. As college basketball enthusiasts and lovers, we weathered the storm because there's a few years there where everyone's saying no one's going to go to college. Everyone's going to skip out on the college. They got the, the G League and there's definitely other opportunities going overseas, yada, yada, yada. And I think we said, look, that's all good and well, but we're going to still be here watching who does, whomever wants to play college basketball. And the, the product may be down, and I'm okay with admitting it. It's not the same as when you're watching a Tyler Hansborough or, uh, you know, any, any of the, like a JJ Reddick or anything like that. I understand we're not at that level, but it's not complete garbage. The issue, Taylor, is how much the international game has caught up. Those international boys don't need to go to G League Ignite because they've been playing pros forever at this juncture. And they can just, when they're ready, they can put their, their names in the in the draft process and the lottery and they'll get drafted. It's so funny. We're at a point now, Taylor, where you have to specify 
some of the college basketball players, you have to specify that. Yeah, this is a top. This is probably the best American college player <laughs> in the draft. It's so weird to say, but that's how you have to address a guy like Cody Williams, who's getting that type of praise. Cody Williams, who plays for Colorado, younger brother of the Thunders, Jalen Williams. I think he's a top five, top seven pick, but I think the four to six names ahead of him are all international guys. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But I just want folks to know that we weathered this storm. College basketball ain't going anywhere. We're still going to love it no matter what. My easy layup, Taylor, and I'm going to uh, show my screen one more time, is just complete ineptitude and not giving a damn about your job. Look at this toss in the FAU-USF game by this ref. He approaches. He doesn't even, like, get uh, set. He approaches the, the the jump ball men, Vlad Golden, and whoever was doing it for USF, and kind of just shot puts it. And Vlad Golden tips it back to his player. The USF guy's like, that wasn't an actual toss, was it? And the ref just looks at everyone like, what are you waiting for? Go get going so my easy layup is being this inept and having such a lack of care factor in your job where millions of people are watching that you just say no no no, get going like to have that lack of care and that level of care which is so abundantly low is nothing short of mesmerizing to me this guy is one of those he's your cube mate who just doesn't care and doesn't put forth any effort. And I have no choice but to commend it and respect it. Have you seen this? <laughs> so I'm commending your loop of this uh, background noise, by the way. Um, the, the fact that... Hold on, hit pause. I can't even focus here. Um, the fact that the background music continues to play in... in I didn't like, even hear after it. Tip. Oh, yeah, I was just playing for like 45 seconds. Um, Shoot, the fact that... <laughs> No, you're good. Um, at least it played on my end. I don't know if it'll come out in the recording. But um, the fact that the background music continued to play after the tip while the guy was just standing there with the ball in his hand is a perfect example of why nobody knew what was going on. Like, they, the music continued to play. The, the DJ was going. They're like, oh, the game started, I guess. The dude wasn't even within, like, five feet of the <laughs> <laughs> This is like a JV like, hey, we need an extra ref. <laughs> like, the one ref got caught in a snowstorm. Can we get you out here? And someone's like, yeah, no problem. And then, yeah, total, total flip there. I do completely admire your take on this, though, in saying that. Yeah, good. <laughs> Just not given a singular, you know, anything. About he doesn't. This game. It, it was amazing. A huge game where eyes are all on you. And he just, that's what unbelievable way to, Tip literally tip it off in the most like anticlimactic way. Larry David would throw yes. the ball. I think that would be the best way to describe this. It's because you're like, oh, I have to do this, and then that's exactly how we would flip it. That's I it's, think that's my description of this event. I think that's good. I would also hazard to say it's Parks and Rec. Tom Haverford when he's sure. refing in that uh, scene, Tom Haverford just doesn't care and he doesn't really know the rules. And I think even Vlad Golden, when Golden tipped it back, he's like, oh wait, sorry. Should I have not done that? Because that, that wasn't a real tip, was it? Like, is this a violation? He didn't even have to extend his arm. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, that is also so college basketball. It's just... It's like, it was like the, one the foot over of, his head. The lack of dedication to, to your craft as a ref is breathtaking. 
it's so <laughs> breathtaking to me how you can just put forth such little effort and just be okay. And, and it's yep. the players. It's the player. You look at the players. You're like, get going, man. Like, what, what are you waiting for me? What are you waiting on me for? Uh, sir, that was the worst jump ball of all time. Uh, speaking of Larry David, I do have to go watch the latest Curb episode. I also need to watch Houston, Iowa State, baby. That's going to be huge tonight. Mm-hmm. By the time this airs, we'll have a result. But Taylor, great episode breaking down the rankings. You know we don't like rankings that much, but things are starting to take shape. Patino's comments, segments. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.